Hey, welcome back to another episode of the People of Packaging Podcast. Hey, I'm your host, Adam Peak. You can find me on TikTok at Packaging Pastor. You can also find me on LinkedIn at Adam Peak. Please go and like and subscribe and follow this podcast. It would mean a lot. Also, it would mean so much if you would support our sponsors. Shout out to Specrite. They have been a ride or die for a while. They want you to imagine a world without waste. Listen, they are changing the game. You're going to be faced with EPR regulations. You're faced with price pressure. All of the things. If you don't know your data, if you don't know your specs, then you're just going to end up guessing and you're going to end up wasting a bunch of money. You're going to end up wasting a bunch of material. The most sustainable thing that you can do is get to know your product specifications, your packaging specs. Go to specrite.com backslash PKG. And you already know the link is in the show notes. Also, Supply Caddy is our newest sponsor. Supply Caddy is a leading global manufacturer and supplier of packaging and disposables for the food service industry. With headquarters in Miami, Florida, and manufacturing facilities in North America and Europe, Supply Caddy is able to provide high-quality, affordable products for restaurant chain, restaurants, chains, and food service brands globally. For more information, go to supplycaddy.com. And you already know that. It's in the show notes. So make sure you support Specrite. Reach out to them. The team over there is incredible, as is the team at Supply Caddy. Make sure you reach out to them also. Okay, let's get to our latest interview right now. All right, everyone. We're here on the internet again with another episode of the People of Packaging podcast. And this is going to be an exciting episode uh, they are. Let's just call it what it is. They're all exciting in their own special way. Love having all the guests on. But I am joined here by Clady, Katie. Sorry, Katie Klencheski. Did I, did I nail it? Klencheski? Yes, you got Klencheski right. Weirdly, you got Katie wrong at the beginning. <laughs> the easy part. <laughs> I, went with, I went with, I started to do the Klen and I went with Clady Klencheski. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> I messed up the I messed up the easy part and got the hard part right. Uh, and you are um, official title at Smack Studios is founder CEO. Uh, you know, Perfect. I feel like I work for everybody who's supposed to work for me, but you know, that's how that goes. <laughs> so you haven't come up like I had. Uh, I don't know if you know Amy Stedman um, from Beatbox Beverages and. Her title was uh, Chief Get Shit Done Officer. That was her title. Yeah. Um, you, you didn't come up with something like fun and creative. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I like to keep it a, a little bit simple. I mean, I wear so many hats. It's kind of like, you know, if I have one catch-all that, that makes it easy. I mean, these days I yep. just describe my job as like, you know, how do I empower my employees and keep the lights on at the same time? And that's kind of, you know, everything seems to fall in one of those two buckets. I love it. How many employees do you have? Uh, we've got 15 people on the team right now. And uh, we're also a team of all uh, female and gender non-binary people at SMAC right now, which is a really cool perspective to have on a lot of our projects. Yeah, I bet. I bet. Well, and we're going to get into at least one of your projects here. Uh, you told me you're in New York City and you said Soho. I should know what that means. Um, <laughs> I've been to the city enough, but I, I'm like, I know that's a place in the city. But uh, is it, it's in 
Manhattan. Is that right? Yeah, we're in Manhattan. Um, we're actually in the yes. process of, of <laughs> moving offices too. So, uh, but right now, yeah. So Soho means south of Palestine, if you if you don't know. So um, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. Well, I live in just, Utah, so like we're we're like our own little special place here in Salt Lake City. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I I have been blessed to be able to be out in New York City quite a bit. Uh, I is do you go to Lux Pack ever? Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's a good place to pick up way more samples than you need. <laughs> that is so true. I've, I actually got to speak at Luxpack at Javits uh, two oh, years cool. ago. So, yeah, it was it was fun. Uh, well, Katie, welcome to the People of Packaging podcast. I'm excited to get into uh, kind of what it is that you're doing. We're going to use this fun case study that just came out to walk through it. But first of all, I have to ask. So when the uh, some some folks from who like work for your on PR with you reached out to me. And before the call, I said, like, all I know is, is there something about Donald Trump and something about Al Gore. And like you're bringing <laughs> you're bringing the world of politics together through uh, wellness uh, branding and design or something like that. So why don't we start there with like your background? I've never been like, let's start with Donald Trump and Al Gore as your background. But uh <laughs> Because um, there was a little bit of those stories as part of the genesis of Smack Studios, if I'm correct. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a little bit of like me trivia. But um, so years ago, like 15 years ago, I worked on uh, I was at an agency that focused on luxury brands, uh, mostly hospitality. And I was the art director um, on the Trump Hotel collection. So um, way back, I worked uh for a hotel company that was, uh, well, I worked for an agency that had a hotel company as a client um, who happened to have a reality TV star's uh, name attached to it. So that was, <laughs> that it, was that. at the time, I wrote their global brand guidelines. I worked on a lot of the, the openings of hotels, making all the kind of branded pieces and things like that. And I never really thought too much about that. It was just kind of a fun piece of trivia for quite a while. And then, um, uh, 2016 rolled around. There was a pretty uh, contested election that came up, and uh, I, I started. Yeah, <laughs> most people do. Um, I started thinking about, you know, hey, uh, sometimes clients that you know maybe you didn't think too hard about become uh, forces for not so great things, and um, that made me start thinking about what I wanted our agency to be and the kinds of clients that we would choose to have. Um, and when we really pivoted at that time to really getting into uh, only working with brands that we felt were making the world a better place. Um, one of the big things uh, through the lens of, of packaging, especially, is we really wanted to focus on sustainability because I think anybody who works in packaging, you know, you want to see your beautiful work on shelf and retail and things like that. You don't want to see it washing up on a beach um, because, you know, plastic never biodegrades. So we um, we really started um, thinking about, you know, what kinds of clients do we want to work with? And um, I got really invested in um, really understanding sustainability and understanding the climate crisis. And um, I trained with uh, Al Gore's group, the Climate Reality Project, uh, to become a uh, leader within that organization. So um, that that's, that's how I ended up uh, kind of uh, interacting with one vice president and one person who ended up becoming president. So, <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Uh, well, you know, I think it also helps provide a, a really valuable backdrop to what it is. How, how long has Smack Studios been around? 
So we started in 2011. So we're a 12-year-old agency. Um, we've, you know, it's been around for quite a while now. So, um, you know, it's it, we've definitely had a chance to work with a lot of different kinds of clients. But really, since 2016, really focusing in on brands that are about sustainability and about um, well-being for people and planet um, has been, I think, the most reward, rewarding work that we've done. That's awesome. The company where I work full time just went through our own rebrand. Actually, it's a seventy-three-year-old family-owned packaging company, and uh, we we actually pivoted to a, a hyper focus on sustainability for people, products, and the planet. So, um, yeah. we're we're in the middle of that the similar, you know, shift that you that you went through. Uh, it's been it's been really wonderful to walk through. Um, yeah. And twelve years is. It, it you know it's almost like we should have like like how we have dog years uh we yeah. should have like covid years because i feel like you probably have like nine years and then it's like but but we've also had three covid years it's like oh gosh yeah. you're like 20 years old as a company <laughs> <laughs> well and I, I mean like the business changed more during that time period than i think it it did in all the years prior because we had to learn how to work completely differently and uh we went from being a company that was really tied to a physical place in an office to, you know, now I was I'm planning this office move with with my team because we're uh, the space we've been using. We're, we're out in June and uh, we started talking about, well, who's even going to be in New York this summer? And we realized about half the team is traveling or staying in Europe. And, uh, you know, we just work digitally a lot. So it doesn't really matter where people are as long as we can communicate on the same time zone. And so, you know, it's really changed kind of how we think about you know, what we use an office for and, and how we interact with each other and how we make sure that collaboration runs well. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So let's talk about how you have collaborated. So you, you mentioned wellness and sustainability and, and a lot of CPG companies. Uh, you, you are not an agency that is strictly focused on, you know, call it like packaging design and packaging branding, right? You are a call it, I don't know, full service branding agency. Would that be the an yeah, appropriate that's, phrase? <laughs> that's a good way to think about it. Um, we work with uh, clients really at the beginning of, hey, I'm starting a new brand and I need to launch it out into the world um, or with brands that are, are rebranding um, and kind of going through the same process where it's uh, we're working on the strategy and positioning, taking that through visual identity and messaging thinking about those physical touch points uh, within the packaging programs and e-commerce shipping, but also building out usually the D2C experience for the brand and thinking about what that launch campaign looks like across um, their different marketing channels. So we really do everything from uh, you know thinking about the genesis of the brand to how are people going to discover this brand out in the world and, and um, you know think about the digital experiences that drive e-commerce sales as well as the physical products themselves. Yeah. It, has that been a challenging component as a design studio in this sort of morphing world between both D2C and retail? They both seem to have their own level of importance, but then delivering on the brand promise, both mm. in a, on, for a physical product and a physical store, on an Instagram post, on a TikTok video, on a, and then on an, e, on a, you know, an e-commerce platform. Is that a big part of the conversation and, and why people would come find you is you do a great job of pulling all those together? 
Yeah, I mean, I think we, since we start at the beginning, really thinking about, you know, what is the brand concept and then build out from there, we're thinking about from that, you know, what's the position of the um, the brand that we're working with? How do we talk about the products? We're thinking about uh, what the values are that the brand has. And then we're starting to think out from there about, you know, okay, what does this mean for the personality of the brand, the tone of voice, uh, the kinds of stories that this brand should be telling, um, as well as the visual world that lives around it. And then from there, we start going into the individual touch points. Um, did I just lose you? Oh, no, I'm still here. <laughs> Sorry, my computer went dark for hello. a second. Um, okay, hello. Here. Yeah. So then from there, we'll um, we'll think about, you know, all of those touch points and make sure that everything that, you know, we're doing is really informed by that core brand concept. So it's never just kind of going straight for a tactical touch point. It's really thinking about how do we take the through line of what's important to this brand and make sure it shows up appropriately in all of those places. Um, and I do think that that's, you know, why we are different than just a design only agency or an agency that just focuses on packaging. Cause we're going to think about, all right, you know, what is the consumer journey in discovering this product? You know, if you're, if you're a retail only brand, um, the story that you need to tell on shelf is really different than uh, what's going to be happening on a PDP page where the product lives, you know, with all of this context around it. More and more, we're seeing a lot of the brands that we work with are pivoting from being D2C only and going into retail. And that's oftentimes the place where we're looking at the packaging program again and thinking about, hey, how do we make sure that we tell this layered story that we have um, when we're you know, in a digital environment and have that appear on shelf and be compelling to a consumer? Has anything been surprising to you from a packaging standpoint, as, as you, you know, you mentioned like this pivot towards sustainability, has there been yeah. anything that you've learned that was, was surprising? Like, I don't know, like a, a, from a material standpoint or, um, uh, uh, I don't know, a sustainability standpoint, like some, like what, what might be something like a piece of information that you're like, oh, this was actually really shocking to me. I didn't know this. I mean, I think a lot of times we go into people just say plastic is bad. Um, and that's something that I think there's, there's a, there's a reason for that. Um, plastic does not biodegrade. We have way too much virgin plastic in the world, but some of the things that come into play when you're thinking about sustainability is also, uh, the emissions that are released into the atmosphere when we think about shipping a product from point A to point B. And so you have a lot of times that in the lifespan of a product, from the supply chain through to the, not just the end consumer, but also what happens to that packaging when it goes into the waste stream uh, where things are being moved around. And so a lot of times, you know, we'll look at glass and say, okay, this is so much better for the environment because we know it's infinitely recyclable. But if you're shipping, you know, a glass component from China to the US, and uh, then it's being shipped even more uh, as part of fulfillment and the purchasing, there's a lot of emissions that are created just by the weight of the product. So it's really difficult to calculate sustainability in absolute terms. Um, and oftentimes you're weighing uh, emissions against recyclability of products. Um, so that's definitely one thing. I think another thing that's, that's an issue and it's about plastic as well as, you know, we know that less than 9% of plastic gets recycled. Um, part of the problem there is that uh, virgin plastic has been kept cheap by government subsidies and uh, the oil industry itself. 
So we're seeing that, you know, it's cheaper to pull petroleum out of the ground, turn it into plastic and turn it into a product than it is to take something that's already out in the world, recycle it, and then uh, put that into a post-consumer plastic. So we see, um, you know, uh, most of the brands that we work with come to us saying that if we're using plastic, we want it to be post-consumer, but there are issues in the supply chain with that. And oftentimes brands are then weighing the cost of one versus the other. And, you know, most of the time cost wins out because people have to consider their cost of goods. So um, it's, you know, you're fighting the good fight, but there's so many nuances to these conversations. And um, oftentimes it's beyond the scope or ability of a small design agency to even help clients really understand the full, full impact. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of work that needs to be done to kind of clean up what we're doing um in in sourcing materials and also to be able to tell uh both brands and the end consumer what their impact is based on their choices yeah there there is a lot of people i can guarantee you right now listening to this nodding their head mm -hmm. going, yes i'm glad that you know uh, uh somebody like yourself who's 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 involved in branding and who's involved in the early stages because for us in the packaging industry we don't see stuff until a certain period of time, like packaging people aren't always brought in on the Genesis and all those early conversations. And then it's like, well, we've designed this thing to be in this, you know, in this complex glass container, mm -hmm. like, well, have you looked at the fact that glass is actually super disruptive to riverbeds because it's made from sand and it's very heavy and it's very energy intensive. And it's like, Oh, I just know it's recyclable. It's like, yeah, it's great. It is. It's recyclable, right? Like it's awesome. But that's not always the it's it's unfortunate that there isn't this very clearly defined thing from sustainability. But it's good to know that there are people out there who are like you who are aware of this and constantly learning and saying, like, well, let's just make the best decision with what we know right now mm -hmm. and continue to push and advocate for better, more sustainable choices, and, you know, potentially even legislation, like you mentioned. Um, and I, okay, you we, know, oh, go ahead. Ahead. I'm just saying too, that the reason why it is confusing is on purpose. Um, it's, there are forces that have been at work, you know, really since the late 80s that have been pushing the story about plastic being recyclable and, you know, pushing local recycling programs and running marketing and PR campaigns around that. Um, on purpose to make consumers feel like it's okay to buy virgin plastic because it'll get recycled when we know that it doesn't. So, you know, it's some of it is it is confusing, but some of it is we've been fed a lot of misinformation around plastics for a very long time by the industry that that has an interest in selling us virgin plastic. So it's made it confusing and it's tough to clear the clutter out. And it's it's really not the fault of packaging designers uh, when, you know, most of us grew up, you know, when recycling programs were just being rolled out um, at the local level across the United States. And um, it's not, you know, really until like the early 2000s that people started auditing that and looking at where that plastic was ending up and whether it was actually truly being recycled and having the impact that was promised. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, well, I wanted I wanted to pivot here. We've got, uh, you know, about four or five minutes left because I, I wanted to talk about this uh, this case study I saw, which is a, which is an interesting case study for me to be like, let's talk about this. So if you don't know my background, um, I'm an ordained Southern Baptist minister and I live in Salt Lake City, Utah. Uh, so let's talk about this, this case study. Let's in Tulsa. It. <laughs> What's that? 
Let's talk about what sexual you, wellness then. <laughs> let's talk about what was that? What was that? Uh, was it salt and pepper? Let's talk about sex. Yeah. Let's talk about <laughs> sex. One time I went to mom. If you're listening, I'm sorry, but I went to a Color Me Bad concert with my mom um, and Paula Abdul. It was epic. And Color Me Bad had this song, um, I Want to Sex You Up. And everyone was singing it. And I was, my mom asked me, and I said, they're saying, I want to set you up. She's like, oh, that's on a date? <laughs> yeah, it's exactly what they're saying. <laughs> nice of them. <laughs> yeah, it was nice of them. Uh, yeah, so let's talk about this rebrand that you've recently done for Taboo. And mm -hmm. I kind of want to hear a, a little bit, not just about the brand, obviously, but like, what does a process look like for a company to to come to Smack and to say, "Hey, not Clady, but Katie, uh, <laughs> Katie, how do I, uh, I I need some help? Like this is this is kind of what the process is. So let's maybe walk through your process that you go through with somebody like Taboo. Um, I really want to know where packaging comes in on that, obviously. But uh, walk us through the process. Tell us a little bit about the company." Um, cause I know I just recently saw you all were promoting this work. So, yeah, well, this is an exciting one cause this is a rebrand that we worked on and, uh, Taboo is now going into Sephora. So, uh, this I think is the second sexual wellness brand that's being included on shelf in Sephora, um, which, you know, speaks to the integration of wellness and also just how ready the consumer is uh, to have conversations around sexual wellness and engage with those products. So um, this brand is really unique in that they uh, specifically target women who are menopausal. Um, and the reason for this is the founder, uh, Natalie, was having a conversation with her mother about uh, sex after menopause or sex, um, you know, as you're aging. And her mother basically told her, use it or lose it. And um, one of the things that happens to women as they um, age and as they go through menopause is um, they experience painful sex. And so uh, many women uh, actually will just abandon their sex lives after a certain point in their life, um, which is, you know, a huge decline in quality of life, connection with your partner. Um, and so Natalie really wanted to solve that by creating uh, a sexual wellness routine that would be something that would uh, help women still be able to have penetrative sex. So um, she created Taboo. Uh, the product itself is a uh, really lovely vibrator and a um, sexual wellness serum that you use in conjunction with each other. Um, and when she came to us, you know, she was having trouble really thinking about how do we position this and how do we speak to this consumer? Because, you know, we think about a menopausal consumer and we think about a, a lady with white hair, you know, like an, an old woman. And really it's, you know, it's women in their 40s, 50s and 60s. And women that age don't look old now, don't think of themselves as old. This is a consumer who actually is very young, yet very fit, um, and is often surprised to hear that they might experience a decline in uh, their sexual health. So, um, you know, we went through the rebranding process with her, which for us starts uh, always with strategy. We're always doing strategy and research to understand what the brand concept should be. And so that's us looking at, you know, not just who's the audience for this, but also thinking about what's the DNA of the brand? What do they have that's unique? That's their superpower that they can own that no one else can. Um, we think about, uh, you know, who are they competitive with and how do we really create those points of difference, but also really unique positioning. 
Um, and then lastly, we think about what's the cultural moment. And I think this is where, you know, this idea comes into play that, you know, this consumer um, who's going through menopause is a different consumer than her mother's generation was and uh, is ready to have more evolved conversations around sexual wellness. So, um, you know, from there, we then really build um, this into a, a core brand concept that's going to inform the rest of our work. And so um, in this case, we were really thinking about, you know, this consumer, not only only does she need to have education as part of her experience with um, with this brand where, you know, we do need to help her understand why this routine is important and what it's going to do for her if she engages with this this product. Um, but we also need to think about uh, how this product fits into her life and her taste and her values. And for this, we also wanted to think about, you know, a lot of brands that are sexual wellness brands, you know, traditionally it was, it was very sexy. Everything was, you know, and it felt kind of smutty and sleazy. And then we had this generation of brands uh, like Dame and Maud who really were creating a much more elevated uh, experience around uh, sex, but really feel like they're targeted to millennials, right? They don't feel like they're, they're targeted to a more elevated consumer who's ready to, uh, deserve something sophisticated. And so that was something that really informed our visual identity is we really wanted this to be science-backed and credible and really have those education pieces built into the visuals that we created. But we also wanted the experience with the product and the packaging of the product to feel luxurious. Um, we wanted it to be discreet, but not uh, not so discreet that it felt like it was a secret. We really thought about it like when you go into a luxury store and you're experiencing uh, you know, the unboxing of like a Chanel product, uh, you know, or you're, you're purchasing an Apple product, you know, there's this sleekness and beauty to packaging that, you know, it's not about screaming at you. It's about telling you that this is something that's luxury, that's elevated. And then when you open the product, um, you know, we have this really um, luxurious uh, orange texture, velvet bag, um, you know, everything once you're in the product is really about making you feel uh, you know, sensual and beautiful and, and, and really feel like you're, you're engaging with something that is a pleasure, uh, to, to, to touch. So, um, that was really how we let that, uh, positioning kind of inform what we did on the visuals. And, and then from there, you know, uh, packaging is one of the touch points. We also built all of this into, um, the e-commerce experience, really creating a PDP page that lets people start kind of with the insight and then understand the unique features and, um, reasons behind everything that exists, uh, within the product. Love it. Love it. That's, uh, it's probably a much longer journey and conversation, right? Because there's, I can already see all the meetings and all the conversations and the back and forth and the ebb and flow together. And what about this? And I don't really know about that. And then someone's got an idea. And then, oh, we're not really sure about that idea. Like it's, it's such a, that process to me is so beautiful because at the end of it, you know that you've created some positive tension internally and you've, what's come out of it is something that everyone is is typically hopefully everyone is proud of everyone is happy to come to market with um it's cool that as the as the design um the, the branding and design company that you know you it was able to align with your values and you were able to take that and 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 share it right and share it with the world and um thought the 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 pr stuff you've been doing around it has been really great and we are at the end of our interview, Katie, can you believe it? <laughs> that went fast. Uh, it, went, it went went by super fast. I just looked up. I was like, oh gosh. So 
uh, first of all, thank you so much. I, I know what, uh, oh, at least you told me what Soho means, and I'll have to go back and re-listen re to lock it into my head. Um, <laughs> I want to give you a chance here at the end. How do people get in touch with you? What's the best way for them to reach out if they've got questions, if they want to work with you, you know, all sorts of things? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, our website is always the best way. Um, we are Smack Studios spelled with two K's. So it's S-M-A-K-K. -K. Uh, the K-K is for Katie Klinchowski. <laughs> and um, smackstudios.com. That's how you can find us. Cool. Um, so you gave a little bit of background on your life. Uh, I will tell you, when I was in fourth and fifth grade, I wanted to become a professional rapper. And mm -hmm. my rap name was going to be Candy Cane with two Ks. So that was my, uh, <laughs> that's going to be my career was Candy Cane with two Ks. Uh, it did not, didn't happen. Um, although I we do have a rap. You're in front of a mic. You're in a, a sound room <laughs> recording studio. I still, I still, uh, I still enjoy it. So, uh, well, Katie, thank you so much. Everyone go check out Smack Studios, S-M-A-K-K studios.com. If you didn't have a chance to write it down, as always, it'll be in the show notes. You can just click it and go see their website. Um, and super appreciative, Katie. You could also go check out uh, the case studies. I think I saw it on your LinkedIn um, mm -hmm. about Taboo and Sephora and uh, just all the work that you're doing. Thanks again for coming on the podcast. It's been great. Thanks so much for having me. Hey, congrats. You made it to the end of the podcast. If you're looking for more great podcast material in the packaging industry, please check out Sustainable Packaging with Corey Connors and the newly redesigned Package Unboxed with Avelio Matos. Go find them wherever you listened to this podcast. Thanks, everybody.